Welcome back, friends. Welcome back to the Corbett Report. I am James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. It is December of 2021, and you are watching Questions for Corbett, episode 82. Let's get straight into it. This week's question comes from Dan via email. Dan writes, What's the purpose behind this excessive push towards gender fluidity? Among the plethora of stories out there pushing this agenda, I recently saw that the UK is encouraging little boys to wear dresses to school and that Sweden may allow 12-year-old children to change their genders. In your opinion, what is the purpose behind this? Okay, thank you for the question, Dan. I do not know about those specific stories that you're referencing there, and there were no links included with the email, but uh, I think we all know where this question is coming from and broadly what it's speaking about. And the movement, the liberation movement of gender fluidity and 87 genders and all of that that has suddenly come to the forefront of the social justice movement over the course of the past decade, and specifically this a whole trend started to appear on my radar in 2014. I remember the Conchita Verst entry at Eurovision that year and uh, the, the types of ways that that was portrayed in the media. And if you if you laugh at this, if you find this uncomfortable, then you're a bigot and all of that. And I think we all know where this has come and played out in the previous several years. Uh, the, the rise of Jordan Peterson and everything, all of that kind of brouhaha, the cultural brouhaha. And I don't know about other people's perception about this topic and the way that it has been thrust into center stage of public attention um, for over the last several years. But it has always struck me as a particularly synthetic movement. I fail to recall growing up the the all of that talk about oh let's let's repress these transsexuals and all of the millions of people who are rising up and trying and the big protests that were happening and the movements and the marches and back and forth I don't recall any of that I just recall this suddenly being thrust into our attention via the media and suddenly you know the issue of transgender bathrooms becoming the key of political discourse in the United States, I imagine a lot of Western developed nations, I'm in Japan, so uh, it, it is a different cultural milieu here, and I, I, I really have not spent a lot of time on this subject, specifically because I don't feel that I have the kind of handle on it that I, I suppose people in a lot of Western nations would have, having been steeped in this. Uh, in their cultural context over the last several years. This isn't a burning, pressing issue that's being thrust into everyone's face via the media in Japan on a daily basis. So I think I have a, a, a very different perspective on it than a lot of people might in my audience. But having said that, it, as I say, has always felt like a forced, synthetic movement um, that undoubtedly has some genuine adherents and some people who have been convinced to be adherents because they are good thinking left, liberal, progressives, whatever, this is what we're doing this week, okay. Uh, I think it has been ginned into some sort of movement, but it always seemed synthetic at first. And me being me, I always think, well, where did this come from? What is the deeper part of this agenda? And that I think that's what the question that Dan is driving at. And it wasn't until uh, some years after this really started to come to the forefront of the cultural conversation that I realized, oh, I think I do know where this is coming from and what it's really driving at. And people in my audience who've been paying attention over the last decade and a half will probably know as well, because you'll recall way back when, in some of my early coverage of 
Ray Kurzweil. We all we all know Raymond Kurzweil, right? The uh, the tech guru inventor who uh, was coming out with all the nifty technologies and saying, oh, by the way, the technological singularity is going to hit in 2029 and we're all going to be overtaken by robots and all of that. You know that, Ray Kurzweil. The singularity is near Ray Kurzweil, right? Or is that Ramona? You brought up virtual reality. With that in mind, who is Ramona? Well, this is a, a project that started a number of years ago. Uh, she's a female, uh, she's my female alter ego. And I wanted to demonstrate at this conference called TED, Technology Entertainment Design, uh, at the 2001 TED conference, a feature of virtual reality that you can be someone else. Because I, I mentioned that, you know, you and I could go into a virtual reality environment and uh, take a walk on a virtual Cancun beach in, in virtual reality environments. And we'll have virtual bodies in these virtual reality environments, particularly when it's through the nervous system. When we have uh, nanobots in our brains that can shut down the signals coming from our real senses, replace them with the signals that your brain would be receiving if you were in the virtual environment, then it'll feel like you're in that virtual environment. And design of new virtual environments will be a new art form. And as I go to move my hand, it'll move my virtual hand. And so I can be an actor in this virtual environment. We can shake hands and we give each other a hug or we can Take, we can run on the beach or sit down at a desk uh, and have experiences in these virtual reality environments. But your, your body doesn't have to be the same body that you have in real reality. A couple could become each other, for example. And, all, and so I wanted to demonstrate how you could do that. So I had magnetic sensors in my clothing. As I moved, a life-size, realistic, real-time animation, pretty photorealistic, of Ramona moved exactly the way I did. My voice was changed into her voice using some other computer technology, and that drove her lips. And so it looked like she was giving the presentation, but I was actually being transformed into her. And the audience could see me and her. And, and actually, we have a demonstration to show the folks at home. But well, virtual reality, you can be who you want to be, and you can be where you want to be and with whom you want to be, and you can even have been who you want to have been. Well, my childhood was kind of tough, although I didn't really think about that at the time. You know, you don't really have much to compare to, but my pa, he was always trying hard, but he never did seem to be able to hold on to a job. Well, I haven't written that many songs, but I try to express what's most deeply on my mind. In virtual reality, you can be someone else. You don't have to be the same boring person all the time. I mean, you all have these personalities inside you that don't quite fit with your bodies in real reality. So basically, most people just, like, kill them all off. Some people don't actually keep any of their personalities, which reminds me of some of my old boyfriends, but that's another story. If you find that at all strange, that just shows what a bigot you are, right? Hmm. Well, how about the the creators of the Matrix movies? You know, the Wachowski bro uh bro brothers? No, I'm sorry. Oh, I mean the Wachowski sisters. Ta-da! <laughs> Lily Wachowski was all smiles as she picked up her Glad Media Award Saturday. 
The event marked her first public appearance since coming out as transgender. Since her announcement, Lily says the support has been overwhelmingly positive, especially from her sister and directing partner Lana, who is also a transgender woman. There's a critical eye being cast back on Lana's and my work through the lens of our transness. This is a cool thing because uh, it's an excellent reminder that art is never static. I'm glad that people are talking about the movies, um, the Matrix movies, uh, with a trans narrative. I love that uh, the how um, how meaningful those films are to trans people and the way that they come up to me and say, "This these movies saved my life because." When you talk about transformation, specifically in the world of science fiction, which is just about imagination, it's like, and world building, and like the idea of the seemingly impossible becoming possible, I think is like, that's why it speaks to them so much. And I'm, I'm grateful that I can be a part, throwing them a rope to help them along their journey. Well, okay, all right, there are some weird people in the, I mean, um, different people in the technological transhuman robots and cyborgs and digital universe out there. Uh, okay, but those are just different kinds of people in, in, in the creative space and what, what have you. I mean, th this isn't what transhumanism is really about, right? I think I've been uncomfortable for a very long time. We know. I've been thinking ever since I was born that I don't belong in this body. Oh my God. It's all right. It's really okay, darling. I've been reading up on it and I think I'm trans. Oh, sweetheart. Oh, it's all right, darling. I swear. It really is. I look at us, we're fine. We're completely fine, aren't we? Mm -hmm. I know we might be a bit slow and a bit old, and this is going to be confusing for us, and we'll make a mess of it sometimes, but we love you. Hmm? We love you. We absolutely love you. We always will. I mean, we don't need to rush. We've got lots of time to talk about this. And you know, if it turns out that we've got a, a lovely son instead of a lovely daughter, then well, we'll be happy. Hmm? No, I'm not transsexual. Oh. Is that not the word now? But you said trans. Is, what did we call you then? I'm not transsexual. I'm transhuman. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, they keep changing the words. I don't know the difference. I don't want to change sex. No, sure. We, we say gender now, don't we? I'm sorry. I said I'm not comfortable with my body, so I want to get rid of it. This thing, all the arms and legs and every single bit of it. I don't want to be flesh. I'm really sorry, but I'm going to escape this thing and become digital. What do you mean? They say one day soon they'll have clinics in Switzerland where you can go and you'll sign a form and they'll take your brain and download it into the cloud. 
And your body? Recycled. Into the earth. So you want to kill yourself? I want to live forever. As information, because that's what transhumans are, Mum. Not male or female. Better. Where I'm going, there's no life or death. There's only data. I will be data. Hmm, I'm not too bright, but I think there may be some sort of connection going on here between this synthetic push towards this gender fluidity movement that just spontaneously arose and is now the premier social justice issue of our lifetimes, and the transhumanist push, which is coming along behind it, riding on its coattails. Yes, I think it might be worth our time to explore a bit of the philosophical background to what is happening here, because I think once we put this in perspective, we realize this is not, again, just some spontaneous thing that's just coming out of the, from the bottom up, a people's movement. This is something that has been talked about, written about, and and lusted after by certain people in certain movements for a very long time. So let's, let's tra- trace back the philosophical pedigree of this bizarre movement that is arising in the wake of this post-genderist push that is uh, leading the way, spearheading the charge towards all forms of identity, liberation, so that we don't have to think of ourselves in terms of our body. Now we're digital avatars. I think you know where this is leading. But as I say, let's trace this back a little. And we could go back, say, a decade and a half to a paper written by a couple of people. It's called Post-Genderism Beyond the Gender Binary, and it's by George Dvorsky, a Canadian bioethicist, transhumanist, and futurist, and James Hughes, a sociologist and bioethicist teaching health policy at Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut. So if you don't know about bioethics and how that might relate to a discussion like this, I would suggest that you take a look at my recent uh, work on the subject of bioethics. But Let's just read a little bit from the abstract of that paper to get a sense of what this paper is about. It says, Post-genderism is an extrapolation of ways that technology is eroding the biological, psychological, and social role of gender, and an argument for why the erosion of binary gender will be liberatory. Post-genderists argue that gender is an arbitrary and unnecessary limitation on human potential and foresee the elimination of involuntary biological and psychological gendering in the human species through the application of neurotechnology, biotechnology, and reproductive technologies. Post-genderists contend that dyadic gender roles and sexual dimorphisms are generally to the detriment of individuals and society. Assisted reproduction will make it possible for individuals of any sex to reproduce in any combinations they choose, birthing person, with or without mothers and fathers, in sneer quotes, and artificial wombs will make biological wombs unnecessary for reproduction. Greater biological fluidity and psychological androgyny will allow future persons to explore both masculine and feminine aspects of personality. Post-genderists do not call for the end of all gender traits or universal androgyny, but rather that those traits become a matter of choice. Bodies and personalities in our post-gender future will no longer be constrained and circumscribed by gendered traits, but enriched by their use in the palette of diverse self-expression. Well, there you go. It's all about liberation, guys, right? That's all this is about. It's just giving people more freedom to be what they want. 
Well, I'll let you uh, read through this paper and come to your own conclusions about whether or not you agree with that. But just reading from the introduction, uh, where they start, I think, to, to get to the point that they're really trying to hammer home in this paper, and I should note that this is from the uh, IEET, the Institute for Ethics and Emerging Technologies. So I think we know what what direction this is heading, right? But in the introduction, they write, efforts to ameliorate patriarchy and the disabilities of binary gender through social, educational, political, and economic reform can only achieve so much so long as the material basis, biological gendering of the body, brain, and reproduction remains fixed. Post-genderism confronts the limits of a social constructionist account of gender and sexuality and proposes that the transcending of gender by social and political means is now being complemented and completed by technological means. And I won't read through this entire paper for you. I suggest you do actually go and read through it if you want to know this argument in greater depth. But to get a sense of it, of course, they go in part two of this paper to cultural antecedents and post-gender theory and talk about some of the philosophical um, uh, progenitors of these ideas. And then they arrive at chapter or part three of this paper, Technologies Enabling Post-Gender Society, which talks about 3.1, transcending gendered social roles and reproduction, which leads to industrial machinery and service and intellectual labor, and then beyond heterosexual monogamy. Yes, let's go beyond that, folks. Um, 3.2, contraception, abortion, assisted reproduction, and artificial wombs. Yes, ectogenesis for everyone. Every man his own mother. 3.3, Transcending the gendered body and brain, talking about sex reassignment and designer genitals, before we arrive at 3.3.2, virtual bodies. Of course, another technology eroding the gender binary is online sex slash gender fluidity, the virtualization of sex which began with the first cave wall paintings, has been rapid from widespread access to and use of porn, phone sex, video interactive sex, sex in virtual worlds, to the eventual perfection of teledildonics, the use of bodysuits and tactile equipment controlled from afar. Electronically mediated sex and porn are safer, no diseases or pregnancy, easier, lengthy courtship and foreplay are unnecessary, more convenient, available anytime you are, and more likely to be exactly what the individual wants. Your partners can be anyone or anything you desire without any physical defects. Ugh, icky humans with their biological needs and... Ugh, just gross. Just make it all virtual, guys. Just live in this... You don't need to live in this world. Live in the metaverse. Again, I think we know where this argument is going. Um, but we could go even further back. That uh, paper itself was first published in 2008. But they themselves name check, as I say, various uh, preceding philosophers who were working on this. And they talk, for example, about Donna Haraway, who in the 1980s uh, wrote a manifesto for cyborgs, science, technology, and socialist feminism in the 1980s, which describes itself as an effort to build an ironic political myth faithful to feminism, socialism, and materialism. So it's okay, guys. I know this sounds far out and silly, but it's ironic, so it's okay. Um, the paper defines uh, a cyborg as a cybernetic organism, a hybrid of machine and organism, a creature of social reality, as well as a creature of fiction. And it goes on to talk about, I mean, the, the politics of cyborgs and 
cyborg sexuality and all of this kind of hypothetical stuff, shall we say. Um, it's, she writes, for example, from one perspective, a cyborg world is about the final imposition of a grid of control on the planet, about the final abstraction embodied in a Star War apocalypse waged in the name of defense, about the final appropriation of women's bodies in a masculinist orgy of war. Question mark. From another perspective, a cyborg world might be about lived social and bodily realities in which people are not afraid of their joint kinship with animals and machines. Their joint kinship with animals and machines, not afraid of permanently partial identities and contradictory standpoints. <laughs> yeah. Oh, being consistent. Pff, so passe. The political struggle is to see from both perspectives at once, because each reveals both dominations and possibilities unimaginable from the other vantage point. Stop thinking about things and trying to make sense of stuff. Just let everything happen all at once and be a, whatever, machine, animal, human, we're all just a kinship in this masculinist orgy of control that is somehow liberating. Whatever, stop, just turn off your brain, just accept. But I think... Actually, this essay also does really gesture towards what this is about and where it's going at various points. For example, where she she gestures towards the debate that has grown in feminist circles uh, uh, over the the TERFs versus the non-TERFs, I guess, the trans-exclusionary radical feminists versus the trans-inclusionary radical feminists, the TERF versus the TERF. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm making that term up, but it should be a term. Anyway, of course, we've seen, for example, J.K. Rowling, the feminist, has been utterly unpersoned by a lot of feminists out there because she dares to say, well, I don't think men, trans women, trans women should be considered as women and be invading women's spaces and all this. You horrible witch! Ah, we, we excommunicate you. You can't come to the Harry Potter reunion. <laughs> Anyway, I think that's gestured to way back in the 1980s by Haraway, who wrote, uh, There is nothing about being female that naturally binds women. There is not even such a state as being female. Itself a highly complex category constructed and contested sexual scientific discourses and other social practices. Yes, the, 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 the obliteration of what we think of as our core parts of our identity. No, no, that's all construction. And so it can all go away, and we are just everything, all at once. Yes, I identify as an attack helicopter, whatever. Anything is good. You are a machine, you are an animal, you are a human, you are a man, woman, both, whatever. Don't decide. You don't, don't even have to decide. You're whatever you feel like in the moment that you feel like it. Do you get the sense that maybe there is something kind of deeper to this? That this isn't just some sort of oh, this is just some fun philosophy that the philosophers are toying with or something. Well, obviously, now that it is becoming more and more of a political thing and it's starting to intrude on people's lives and personal spaces and you must agen uh, address me by this pronoun or you will go to jail is increasingly on the table. Do you think that there may be something sort of deeper to this? That there's a reason why this is being pushed? If so, I think you are correct. And I will direct your attention not for the first time to Revolve, Man's Scientific Rise to Godhood by Aaron Franz, which was first published, I believe, in 2008. Uh, let me see if I got that right. Uh, 2000, 2010. 
I got that completely wrong. <laughs> Sorry, Aaron. <laughs> anyway, first published in 2010, exactly as I said. Um, uh, and you will remember this book because I did uh, talk about it in my uh, uh, conversation with the Liberty Weekly dot com folks about uh, recommending books. This was one of my recommended books. And in that conversation, I noted uh, that when I first read this book and wrote the foreword to it back in 2009, 10, uh, one, one chapter that didn't quite make sense to me at that time, or I, I, it made sense, but I didn't understand where it was coming from, was chapter eight on post-genderism, exactly about this topic. Um, but this is a this is a book about sort of the esoteric aspects of the technological slash transhuman revolution that was coming into view certainly at that time um, a decade plus ago. Uh, but post genderism, what is what's Aaron talking about here? What does this have to do with it? Actually, this chapter eight seems pretty prescient given the space that we're in now culturally. Um, so. He opens this chapter just by setting the table. One of the strangest trends within transhumanism is that of post-genderism, which is the idea of transcending gender itself. Post-genderism is yet another ism which buddies up with transhumanism. Post-genderists seek to go beyond the confines of their own male or female-specific bodies. Becoming post-gender, one could merge both male and female traits to achieve gender singularity within the self. Another way to go could be to ignore both male and female to end up as some unknown form of neuter. By upgrading bodies and minds with varied transhuman technologies or surgeries, post-gender, post-humans could become something beyond male or female. This sounds bizarre and even ridiculous to most people who stumble upon the subject, but it should be understood that transhumanists are completely serious about it. They make frequent reference to it, both overtly and covertly. Postgenderism is an important part of their project. And as I say, even myself, a decade plus ago when I first read this, I didn't... Uh, really? Is that... Are you sure about this? Yeah. And he was exactly right about that, to the point where just less than a decade later, nine years later, the BBC is posting up funny question mark videos about girls coming out as transhuman to their parents i'm i'm going to become digital what what on earth well as i say this i mean this entire book is worth reading but uh aaron gets into the sort of sort of the esoteric aspects of this and the, the sort of deeper meaning that um is not really explicitly stated here. He does talk about some of the various examples of transhumanist and post-genderism and how those examples overlap, but he gets to the heart of it, I think, when he writes about what is more important to the human experience than reproduction. The act of regeneration has always been at the core of human experience and that of the entire living world. It perpetuates life itself. It is indeed one of the main themes within the mystery tradition and subsequently every religion that has ever existed. In the ancient world, fertility was adored and worshipped. Profound allegories of nature, the seasons, crops, and human life were intertwined. The Earth Mother, also known as Isis, has been known throughout the ages as the source of all material life. She is the goddess of 10,000 names. The marriage of the Heavenly Father and Isis symbolizes the act of creation. At one level, this allegory points to the physical regeneration of mankind, the joining of male and female in the creative process. Philosophically, the joining of male and female is the preferred method to harness the mystical and unseen creative force itself. In the alchemical process, the male and female portions of one's own mind, 
mind being an abstract and intangible thing, may be joined so that an individual may become a creator in their own right. Within the mysteries, male has come to symbolize the unseen god-spirit aspect of creation, whereas female has been used to symbolize the physical material world itself. Creation requires both male and female to be effective. However, if this duality could somehow be reduced to a singularity, then it would be more immaculate. This is how the oneness of the mysteries is achieved. Today, we are seeing a literal interpretation of this mystic tradition. This is a direct reflection of a high esoteric religion. In its highest degrees, allegory is made literal. Mysticism has truly been used to gain control over the physical world and everything in it. Understand this, and you will better understand what the transhuman agenda is all about, and from where its ideas have generated. We are hearing transhumanists boast about the upcoming creation of gods. These gods will have both male and female aspects perfected within a single form. They will have the total power of creation scientifically reduced to a singularity. This is the ancient esoteric meaning behind the modern post-gender ideal. Again, I, I, I highly recommend this book, and I think that was particularly foresightful, shall we say, of Aaron France to be writing that back over a decade ago, before any of this was mainstream stuff that you could read about. That now, yes, there are literal religions forming that are going to worship the AI godhead, and there are people in Japan praying to Buddhist, robotic Buddhist monks and other such things. Just craziness is actually happening, and it is coming from a very specific space, a specific philosophical outlook on life? Well, interesting that you would even bring up that word, life. What does life even mean in this context? Remember, everything is, gender is fluid, sexuality is fluid, your identity is fluid, humans, animals, machines, it's all the same, because what is life? Anyway, if you think I am going overboard with this, this is not coming from me, this is coming from Policy Horizons Canada. Oh, yes, yes. Remember that that interesting document that we were talking about earlier this year? Exploring Biodigital Convergence? And remember when I was talking and going through that document with you and we talked about vitalism when that came up in the document and what that revealed about this agenda? And then it talks about the conceptual convergence of biological and digital systems, which is an extremely important part of this, and in fact perhaps gives the game away. A third form of biodigital convergence involves a shift in perspective that could reshape our framing and approach to biological and digital realms, facilitating the blending of the two. And then it goes on to say, as we continue to better understand and control the mechanisms that underlie biology, we could see a shift away from vitalism, the idea that living and non-living organisms are fundamentally different because they are thought to be governed by different principles. And yes, you can read more about vitalism. Vitalists hold that living organisms are fundamentally different from non-living entities because they contain some non-physical element or are governed by different principles than are inanimate things. And you can read about the this philosophy and its history, but 
recognize what this is saying. If we do see this predicted shift away from vitalism, what does that mean? It means that, once again, they are trying to literalize the metaphor of the software of life running on our operating system in our genome and all of this type of metaphor that is being applied. No, no, they do not mean it as a metaphor. They are literally trying to say that we are biological computers and we can and will be reprogrammed. You are nothing other than the matter that makes up your body. And that can be changed and manipulated in any way. And there's no, there's no line to be crossed. There's nothing fundamentally wrong. There is no even right or wrong when it comes to, say, creating these weird chimera species, half pig, half human, whatever. Nothing. There is no line whatsoever. You are simply a collection of matter that can be manipulated. You are a biological robot. Well, why not just make you into a real robot or cyborg of some, some kind, at least as a, as a medium step towards that future? Um, again, it's, it's all embodied right here. The shift away from vitalism is exactly the underlying pinning ideology of this. So it's the anti-vitalism that is at the heart of transhumanism or biodigital convergence or whatever label you want to put on of the uh, on this all right i will of course direct your attention to the show notes where you can find the link if you need it to that full episode on your guide to the great convergence where there are a lot of points that i think are highly relevant to what we're discussing today and what i imagine we will be discussing in the coming years as this issue which Maybe even today still sounds a bit out there and, uh, oh, that's outlandish. Yeah, I get that transsex transsexuality is a thing these days, but tr transhumanism uh, still seems out there. That's sci-fi stuff. Mm, well, let, let's return to this discussion in a decade and see if you're still saying the same thing. Now, as I say, all of the links to all of the things that I've talked about and cited are in the show notes for today, but I think this is the way to properly situate and contextualize the synthetic movement that has come along in recent years uh, to push this agenda in front of the public. Because as I hope people who have watched the most recent edition of Solutions watch, and if you have not yet, why not? Please do so. It's called Writing a New Narrative, and it stresses and underlines the point that the real people who truly do desire control over the world or as much of it as they can get their greedy paws on know that creating narratives and leading people along from step to step to step through story and through understanding shared meta-narratives about the world is the key to controlling society. And that's why tran trans rights is going to blend into the next stage, which will be trans-human rights. And it is it's perfectly obvious once you understand where this is coming from, but for the average person who's just following the news of the day and just going along from headline to headline, they will be strung along like a, a bull being led along by a ring through their nose. It is um, sad, but predictable. Anyway, you are now forewarned and forearmed, so you know where this is heading and you know what this is really about. And you can make your own determination, your own line in the sand now of whether or not you are something, you are simply a biological robot that can be programmed to, uh, to do this or that at will, or whether there is something core and essential to your nature that is, transcends the material uh, world 
And uh, again, obviously, I'm not going to make that determination for you. I leave it for yourself. But that actually, of course, is my other point today for any of the hard of thinking out there who do not understand what I am saying today. Of course, as an anarchist, I, I, I even if I presumed to want to step in and tell other people what they should or shouldn't be doing with their bodies, uh, what would give me the right to do so? No, I'm not, I'm not advocating for anyone to... Of course, people can go and do what they want. I do, of course, have fundamental objections when people start saying, well, if you don't call me by this particular pronoun, then you are going to go to jail and start getting the state involved in that. Obviously, that, I think, does violate the non-aggression principle. But, well, let people do what they're going to do. But I think it certainly... Uh, behooves us to understand the actual philosophical and mystical traditions that are being built on and being shoved down the public's throat. And if we do not understand and see that narrative, that meta-narrative that's being constructed right now for what it is, we might be led along into things that we do not genuinely want and might end up in a space, a place that we do not want. The, uh, the system of total control that uh, Donna Haraway gestures towards and then kind of dismisses in her essay. Anyway, I'll leave that question there. <laughs> and uh, Dan, I have no idea if you were expecting that answer, <laughs> but this is the corporate report. We don't just go deep, we go levels deep. So uh, there's a lot to explore in this issue. It touches on so much just fundamental important issues that uh, are going to become more and more important as Klaus Schwab and his minions like to tell us the digital world is becoming as important, maybe more important than the real world, the icky real world with biological entities. Ugh. Let's go into the metaverse. Anyway, let's all keep our eye on this subject and eyes open about what this subject is really about, where it comes from, and where it's heading. On that note, I think we're going to leave it there for today. James Corbett, CorbettReport.com. <laughs>